From the brains behind Teal the Show, this is Teal the Podcast, your source for Jaguars news and analysis with NFL insider Mark Brunel and your host, Cole Pepper. We welcome you into Teal the Podcast. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking specifically about football and the game on the field and the roster, but because we have just gone past the 25th anniversary of Jacksonville being awarded an NFL franchise, thought we'd get a little historical perspective. And today, it's my great pleasure to welcome into Teal the Podcast, Tom Wills, who a man who needs no introduction in Jacksonville. But Tom, uh, thanks for taking some time out to talk about the story. You said it's one of your favorite stories you've ever covered. Cole, first of all, the 25th anniversary is only part of the story, the 25 years of the Jaguars. The story actually goes all the way back to 1979. So this is a long-running story. And I say it's one of my favorite stories because in the history, the modern history of Jacksonville, this is the second most remarkable story in Jacksonville history after consolidation. Yeah. Now, consolidation happened before I got here, but I've been well-schooled in what went into it, and I'm a great believer in what a difference it has made in the quality of life for the people who live here that we have this consolidation. Let me give you a little background about me. Um, most people probably know it by now, but just, just to set the stage for my interest in this story. I grew up in Pittsburgh, the home of the Steelers. I started, I went to college and started my career and got married in Washington, D.C., home of the Redskins. Don't need to tell you about how Pittsburgh feels about the Steelers, particularly starting in the 70s with Terry Bradshaw and the back-to-back Super Bowls and the Immaculate Reception and all those things. The Redskins, when I lived there from 64 to 75, all of Washington, D.C. stopped at 1 o'clock on Sunday. The federal government barely got the wheels turning on Monday morning because the whole town was consumed with the Redskins, talking about the Redskins. All those years that I lived there, I never got to a game at RFK Stadium because I didn't know Henry Kissinger or anybody else famous enough to help me get a ticket. It's a tough ticket, yeah. <laughs> it was impossible. I mean, the, the waiting list for tickets was, you know, 50,000 or something like that. The only time I ever saw the Redskins in person was uh, they came to Tampa and played a Super Bowl. Uh, that's, that's after I worked here. Mm-hmm. And I saw them, when I was living in Washington, I saw them play a game in Philadelphia and I saw them play a game in Dallas. Flash forward to 1975, my wife and I are living here Now it's the summer of 1979, a simpler time, no internet, no cell phones, of course no Twitter and all those other things. ESPN was still a month away from going on cable. They went on on cable in September of 79. It's August of 79. A wonderful man named Bill Brown is the Channel 4 news director. He is well-traveled. He had been a uh, Moscow correspondent for one of the networks. And he's a swashbuckling, dramatic news director. He comes into the newsroom at 9 o'clock one morning. The Times Union is in his hand, but it's folded. He's waving the newspaper in the air and shouting, We are going to own the Colt story, this Colt story, by 6 o'clock. The assistant news director, a friend of mine, Al Holzer, had neglected to look at the newspaper before he came to work that morning. The cold story. What could that be? 
But instead of risking Bill's ire by saying, excuse me, what cult story? Al thought the best thing to do would be to slip off to the men's room and get a newspaper on <laughs> the way <laughs> and open it up and see, ah, front page of the Florida Times Union, Baltimore Colts considering moving to Jacksonville or some such headline. Yeah. The start of Colts fever. The start of Colts fever. I can tell you that by 6 o'clock that night, Eyewitness News with Bill Grove, we owned the Colts story. We didn't cover anything else that day. So let me, I want to put some historical context and some cultural context to this as well, because there are a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who maybe weren't even born when the Jaguars started playing and or moved here since. Give me a thumbnail sketch of what Jacksonville was like on that day when Colts fever began, because this is the, this is the, the, the foundation of the story to come. What was Jacksonville like at that time? People here were Redskin fans because we were, Channel 4 was the CBS affiliate, and we were on the Redskin feed, which I was very happy about mm -hmm. personally because that meant I could watch Redskin games. They were Dolphin fans. Nobody was a Bucks fan because the Bucks were absolutely awful. Right. We had AA baseball, the Jacksonville Suns. Of course, we had the Gators and the Seminoles, uh, college football, and we had high school football, which was, you know, which was still a big deal now, you know, was a, was a big deal then. It was, a, it was a simple time. The thought of Jacksonville having an NFL team was so far-fetched as almost laughable. And population, something 600,000. 600,000 for the metro area. Yes. Within Duval County, probably half that. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing in town at that time the Gators, well, the biggest thing in town at the time was the Florida-Georgia game. Mm -hmm, right. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party. That was huge. But that was one, one Saturday a year. And the Gator Bowl was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, A lot of people here went to see the, the game, the Gator Bowl, whatever college teams were playing, because the, there was a belief here that there was a real passion for football, which was later demonstrated long after cold fever, uh, when the Jacksonville Bulls came two years in the 80s. All right, so in, from the time that that newspaper was held aloft in the newsroom uh, to the landing of the helicopter on the field. Short, that was a very short period of time. That was couple, a matter of a week. Couple, a week? Yeah, okay. a week, maybe two weeks at the most. Take me back then to what that atmosphere was like in town <laughs> in that intervening week or two. Well, first of all, uh, we had a mayor who grew up here in the Brentwood Projects, went to uh, Jackson High School, Jake Gottbold. Little did anybody know that he was a visionary. He had just become mayor. That's a, that's a story un, unto itself. He was the city council president when the then mayor, Hans Tanzler, left to run for governor. It was called a resign to run. And so Jake Gottbold, as being the city council president, moved up and became the mayor and then was, and then was elected to the office. So he was a brand new mayor. But, he, but he, he sees this as an opportunity. And he and Mike Tolbert, his aide, I just saw the two of them the other night at, a, at an event that Jake throws at River City Brewing Company. They're just as, they're fascinating men, they truly are. Came up with this idea of let's have Ursay come to the Gator Bowl and see the Gator Bowl and we'll have people come out and I'll, uh, 
the mayor said, I'll go to the business community and I'll ask him to pony up some money to buy hot dogs and drinks for the whoever shows up. Great idea. Which, by the way, I have been told by numerous people in the last 22 years I've been in Jacksonville that having hot dogs and sodas available got everybody's attention. They didn't know, really know exactly what this was all about, but hey, we can go, go down to the stadium, have a hot dog and a soda, this might be something. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Years later, I learned from Mayor Godbold that he began to have a panic attack about this whole thing. Mm. That this, this is crazy. Nobody's going to come to the stadium for a hot dog and a cold drink. He told this to Tolbert. The magic words Tolbert said to him, Mayor, let's find out now if the people of Jacksonville want an NFL team. Let's put it to them. If they show up, we know they want a team and we'll go after it. If they don't show up, we'll know that people of Jacksonville don't want an NFL team. It will tell Mr. Ursay to go somewhere else. Prophetic words. 50,000 people show up in that stadium. We're, of course, we're covering this. We're covering this live. This is, this is an extraordinary event. They're, wearing si they're carrying signs, we want the Colts, we want the Colts. Helicopter, the Channel 4 helicopter, I might add. We contributed to this. We're covering the story, but we're also helping with the story. We loaned the city the Channel 4 helicopter, and it lands on the 50-yard line of the old Gator Bowl. Mayor Godbold and Robert Ursay in a white suit get out of the helicopter and stand there and waving. Now, Mayor Godbold told me years later that the conversation that Ursay had with him while they're standing there, Ursay's looking around the Gator Bowl and said, you're going to have to tear this dump down. <laughs> <laughs> prophetic as well, by the way. It's exactly <laughs> prophetic as well. Um, and, and people showed. And this was 1979. 1979, August. Uh, again, a month before ESPN went on the air. In an era when a show like this uh, would, for, it's a non-event. There's, no, there's nothing happening. There's no competition. It's not a concert. There's not, no, nope. it's just come out. To see a guy get out of a helicopter. <laughs> to see a guy who really had no intention of ever bringing Probably the team not. Here, was looking for leverage, first and foremost. But maybe then in a moment said, well, okay. Now that conversation starts to, starts to percolate. Well, but it, it, it's a long time before Jacksonville truly got into the conversation for an NFL franchise. No question about it. But what happened is Godbold came to believe that maybe we wouldn't get the Colts, but we could pursue an NFL team. And of course, as time went on, we pursued any NFL team that considered moving. This was law, and then Godbold's no longer mayor, Tommy Hazuri's mayor, and then Ed Austin is mayor. And Jacksonville is still pursuing an NFL team, almost to the point of where people are saying, Jacksonville's a laughing stock. They're being used. Anytime an NFL owner wants a new stadium, he just says, I'm moving my team to Jacksonville. And the next thing you know, he gets a new stadium. That was all right. They didn't mind. Rick Catlett and business people, this is what Godbold told me, went to every single NFL owner's meeting, whether there was any publicity about it or not. They always had a suite at every NFL owner's meeting to make their presence known. They were willing to seek anything. At one time, there was a discussion about the NFL might start holding Super Bowls in neutral cities. Mm -hmm. Preposterous was never going to happen. Nevertheless, it was floating around. Oh, we'll bring an aircraft carrier down the St. John's River. You know, 
we'll, we'll hold the Super Bowl here. At one time there was a discussion about maybe having uh, playoff games at neutral cities. Mm -hmm. Never yeah. going to happen. AFC, NFC championship games. Yep. Exactly. Right. Anything at all, we're available. Mm -hmm. We had exhibition games here. I went to a game, the New England Patriots, when their uniforms were just <laughs> but ugly, playing the Atlanta Falcons in an exhibition game. 50,000 people. Mayor Godbold called up everybody he knew, said, we got to get tickets, we got to get people there. Then the Bulls came and we said, I don't know that we need an NFL team. We got the Jacksonville Bulls. Yeah, we love the Jacksonville Bulls. We love Fred Bullard. We love Lindy Infante. And that's an interesting intermediate step yeah. in this whole 84 story. 84 and 85. Because, as we know, that league was not long for the world yep. for a number of reasons. Uh, overspending owners. And we'd already had the Sharks and the Express. Mm -hmm. and, but that was, a, that was the most significant, the closest to major league sports yep. that Jacksonville had gotten at that time. Um, and again... The T-Men. The T-Men drew, drew huge, again, for a couple of years. Respectable crowds. Uh, for, soccer. for soccer, tremendous crowd. So, there was, so it was very clear in the early to mid-80s that there was a sports appetite in Jacksonville, wanting more. Um, I'm going to editorialize here a little bit, because when I first came to town in 1996, one of the things I noticed coming from a just slightly larger city, Kansas City, but not, again, that did have two major league sports yeah. there, one of the things I noticed about Jacksonville was that it was a city, and still is, a city that wants to have their guys, their representative celebrities. And the ones that, by and large, filled that bill here at the time, Skinner, Molly Hatchett, 38 Special, yes. uh, a few golfers, some of whom were connected here, some of whom have moved here and lived here, and Homer still Lindsay. do. Homer Lindsay at First Baptist Church. And, and that was a probably a more localized, because yeah. it didn't have quite the same you know, world reach as, right. as Leonard Skinner. Local. But Artis Gilmore, yep. and then broadcasters. You, Sam, whoever. Bill Grove, uh, George Winterling. George, without a doubt. Um, and then, and then it, there were, and again, I'm talking about the second year of the Jaguars, and I'm jumping around chronologically here. Uh, but then, and then Jaguars players obviously embraced tremendously. I think that was something that had been developing now in retrospect for quite some time. Wanting to have more of those, somebody that represents the city on a grander on a grander stage, um, and you saw that with the team, and you saw that uh, that want with the with the Bulls. But here we are. In 1986-7, after the USFL had, uh, had had tanked, after the NASL had closed down shop and had changed dramatically in terms of that landscape, into the late 80s, paint the picture for us about Jacksonville at that point, because here we are five, six, seven years away from the efforts in earnest to, to land a franchise. Where were things in those intervening, intervening years? It, it was... Truly a situation of the right people in the right place at the right time all the way along. Uh, Tommy Hizuri uh, pursued the Houston Oilers. Bum Phillips came to town. There was a pursuit of the Cardinals, uh, Bill Bidwell. Okay, then all of these things came to naught. Behind it all, Jacksonville's had an inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. 
inferior to Miami, inferior to Fort Lauderdale, inferior to Mickey Mouse Land, inferior to Tampa. It's the drive-through flyover capital of the state of Florida. Godbold knew that, and that's, that's part of what got him started as the visionary. And the other mayors that came after him, Tommy Hazuri and, and Ed Austin, they, they, knew that, they knew this too. Tom Petway, an insurance agent, started Touchdown Jacksonville, the business group. And the, the miracle was, and I'm, I'm not sure when, Weaver, when Wayne Weaver joined the effort, but that's when the shoe dropped, literally, mm -hmm. to use the word shoe. Right. Okay, here's a guy who'd gone off to Latin America and bought inexpensive women's shoes, sold them back here in the United States and made a fortune. His brother Ron lives here. And when Wayne Weaver was added into it, then Touchdown Jacksonville had the money person the NFL wants an owner, they don't want a committee. Right. They want an owner, and they want an owner with deep pockets, and he qualified. I was at, again, I'm not sure exactly what, what the years were, but it was full speed ahead. I was at a, some social function on Amelia Island, and uh, Ron Weaver was there, and I knew him through church. And being, uh, news people are, are basically skeptical by nature. Right. Uh, almost cynical, uh, I apologize to say, but definitely skeptical. And so I said to Ron, Ron, NFL's never going to give Jacksonville a team. Without missing a beat, he said to me, Tom, my brother Wayne always gets what he wants. I have never forgotten that conversation. Mm -hmm. It proved to be prophetic, didn't it? It did. Because Wayne got the team. So let's fast forward to 1993. Uh, in the monthly, uh, the the documentary that uh, Channel Four produced um, tells some great stories about the political machinations leading up to. There was so, a, you know, there was a breakdown of the negotiations between Weaver, Touchdown Jacksonville, and the city. Yeah, tell that story. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what what year it was, but okay, but but um, it was obviously before the two NFL owners meetings that were. The deciding factor. Uh, they were trying to negotiate uh, what, how much was the city going to put into this effort of redoing the stadium, and it had to do with the club seats mm -hmm. and how much was were the business people, the owners of the team, how much were they going to put into this thing, and th they butted heads and it collapsed. I can remember Cole like it was yesterday. I'm driving to work. I was passing by Trads on San Jose Boulevard, and I said to myself. It's over. Just, it's over. We've been doing this since 1979 and it's just not going to happen. It's over. I get to work and there's a message. Wayne Weaver has called the newsroom, wants me to come and interview him. Now, he's had conversations with Sam, but he wants a news person to come and interview him. Wayne was not a guy, still isn't, who ever seeks publicity. Right. Doesn't sit around seeing how many interviews he can give. So I take a camera and I go over there and I sit down with him and he looks me in the eye and he tells me, I want the people of Jacksonville to know we are this close to getting a team. We are going to get a team, but we have to get past this stalemate with the city and get an agreement. And if we can get an agreement, we will get a team. And we're probably talking about two or three 
city council representatives that yes. were the biggest opponents yes. at this point, yes. right? Yes, and, I, and to some degree, I think the Austin administration was balking too, hmm. okay? I'm not sure, but here, here are the guy, who are the two people that I believe fixed it? One was the late Don Davis, who was a city councilman, mm -hmm. and the other was the, uh, the publisher of the newspaper. Yeah, Carl Cannon. Carl mm -hmm. Cannon. Mm -hmm. Those two brought the people back together again, and they got an agreement, because the reason St. Louis didn't get a team is that they had two groups that were fighting. Ain't gonna work. Yeah, the league's not you gonna gotta, get in You gotta show up with your ducks all in a row. It's gotta be a plan that you can present to the owners that they will say, that's a good plan. We like that. Mm -hmm. That's doable. Yep. These are business people. They are sharp when it comes to dollars and cents. And if, to hear Wayne Weaver say, we'll get a team. What? Did you believe was, him at the time? I, let's put it this way. I believe that he believed that that was good enough for me. Yeah. What do I know? I'm just a news guy. Well, again, the skepticism sure. goes back to this. But I mean, I, he, he really believed it. So the owners meeting, the first meeting comes up, they award the franchise to, to Charlotte. Charlotte. Everybody thought at that point that St. Louis was going to be the other They were giving team. more time to St. Louis to get their act together. Baltimore was also in the conversation at the time. This is before the Browns had moved and become the Ravens. And, but Nashville. That, and Nashville was in the picture, but really it was St. Louis. Everybody thought, well, listen, St. Louis had been a heritage franchise the Cardinals for years and years. Dan Deerdorf told Sam and me, it's going to be St. Louis. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be Jacksonville. That's ridiculous. You people should go home. Sam and I have never forgiven Deerdorf for that. There are a number of people who have never forgiven Deerdorf for a number of things, but we won't get into that on this podcast yeah. right now. Um, so in the time between the first owner's meeting and the second owner's meeting, where do, and I know this is, you're, you're, I'm asking you to recall how you felt and thought, what did you think the chances were that it was going to be Jacksonville and not St. Louis in the, in the intervening, what it was a month and a half, whatever it was? You know, the, the people that touched down Jacksonville were still confident, and we relied on their confidence, even though we had our own skepticism mm -hmm. that Jacksonville was going to be left at the altar once again, we felt like we'd been left at the altar at the first NFL owners meeting when they gave a team to Charlotte. Why didn't they give us a team that day? And, and I mean, Sam really, Sam Kavaris really was there for the inside story. Um, the, the Jacksonville people were angry with the NFL mm -hmm. that you're playing us, you're playing us, and this isn't, this isn't fair, this isn't right. And there were years of backstory and history, some of which we've talked about here, that would have taught Jacksonville that that's exactly what could and, happen and would happen. And part of it was, I don't know about the other cities and how soon they came to the party, but again, it were all those NFL owners meetings that Jacksonville showed up at, mm -hmm. to the point where these owners had formed Culver House, uh, the Atlanta owner, I mean, they, they had a relationship with the people in Jacksonville, and I think they, I think they cared that the people that the Jacksonville people they were dealing with were angry, mm. okay, and had felt left out. Um, and and uh, you know we get to, we get to the second NFL owners meeting, and that truly is the most unforgettable moment. Sam was upstairs in the room 
nobody knew, I mean, the NFL did not know who he was, that he was in the room. He was a reporter. He's in there with Mr. Weaver and Ed Austin and Don Davis. And, you know, nobody really wanted to, but nobody said kick him out. And so Sam was the first to find out that Jacksonville was getting the team. The finance, NFL Finance Committee had voted, and the loaners never went against the Finance Committee. All of the money. They, they were gonna, they were gonna ratify the Finance Committee decision. So he came downstairs and told me, I've got it, it's reliable. Sam, are you sure? He said yes. I said, well, let's go on TV and tell people back home. <laughs> so you're waiting on this. Yeah. And communicating back to the station. Yeah. Give me kind of a blow-by-blow blow here of what happened between Sam telling you this. How long was it before you could go on the air with this? And, and if you can recall what the communication was like kind of behind the scenes. We, um, Sam communicated with the news director, Nancy Shaffron. There was, there was a code word. And, and Nancy got a call from a source, I believe, confirming it. So we, we were sure Jacksonville was getting it. We were sure Tagliabue was coming into the room in 10 minutes. Or 15 minutes. What was the code word? Orange. Or no, I'm sorry. Tangerine. 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 <laughs> Tangerine. I'm, I'm really telling more Sam's story than mine. Um, Jacksonville was getting a team. We were sure Tagliabue was going to come in and make the announcement, so we went on the air. And Rob Sweeting and Deborah Jean Olis were anchoring our coverage back here in Jacksonville, and Sam went on the air, and I'm standing next to him, and he said, you know, they're going to announce we're getting a team. And the only only part I had in all of that was at some point I was snooping around and there I saw a, a backdrop lying on the floor and there was only one backdrop there and it had that Jaguar on it and that led me to believe that gee I think they really are going to announce that Jacksonville's getting a team and Tagli Boo and Weaver came in and and, uh, and made the announcement and it was like <laughs> I leaned over to, now, Sam had been here since uh, 80, 1980, 1981. It's now 1993. He'd covered the Gators, the Seminoles, the Bulldogs, Bethune-Cookman, all the high schools. Mm -hmm. He'd covered the T-Men. I leaned over to him and said, Sam, the mountain has just come to Muhammad. <laughs> <laughs> An NFL team? coming to us as opposed to an awful lot of ambitious young sports reporters. They want to grow up and move to a city mm -hmm. that has major league sports. It, it was a prerequisite for me. I was, you know, that, the, one of the reasons why I jumped at the chance to come to Jacksonville. I wanted to, you know. There we had was, a team. There, there's an, it's, it's a major league town. It's got an NFL exactly. team. The uh, other, the other thing. There are two other things I got. I have to say. Somehow I wound up on Weaver's plane. I'm not sure how I got a seat on Weaver's plane. Sam didn't come back until the next day. We're sitting on the tarmac at Chicago O'Hare Airport. It's dark in the plane. It's total silence in that plane while we're waiting for clearance to take off. The flight was totally quiet. Here we are. Flying back to Jacksonville with this shoe, shoe salesman who's bringing to the city an NFL team. You're kidding. Okay. Petway was on the plane. Another unsung 
hero who doesn't like publicity. And the scene call at the airport, it, it, it was mind-blowing. People came out to the airport to greet Wayne and Don Davis and Mayor Austin as they got off that plane. Well, you're tearing up talking about this. Oh, it was an emotional, it was world-changing moment. And these, these, are, these are tears of joy, gratitude that I got to be there. It's, it's the joy of being a journalist. I'm not a participant, just a witness. Now I have to say along the way, the, the hardest thing for me as a sports fan is maintaining my impartiality. I had to make sure as a reporter that, I had to make sure that the people who were saying, wait a minute, do we really need this team? Give them a platform too. Right. Let them say what they have to say. So, you know, you, you can have an opinion. I thought it'd be really good if Jacksonville got a team. I still believe to this day it's one of the best things that's happened to the city. And it's whether you're a sports fan or not. Let me just tick these things off, okay. We have a former star quarterback for the local team who is coaching a high school football team here. No Jaguars, e even, if we, even if we got a Tampa Bay Buck, it's not the same. Yeah. Mark is a local guy. He could have gone, settled, he played for the Redskins, he played for the Jets, he's from the far Northwest. He could have settled his family in a hundred different places. He came back to Jacksonville. Tony Baselli came back to Jacksonville. Kevin Hardy lives here. Yep. Okay, that, that's part of Godbold's vision. The players go over to Wolfson Children's Hospital. Whether the team is good or bad, if you have an NFL player walk into your hospital room and you're a mother or a dad and you're there with your child who's being treated, does that lift your heart right out of your shoes? And by the way, they're walking into the Wayne and Dolores Weaver wing yes. when they do that. So it's not just the players. I mean, it's the impact, and you have a better perspective on this than I do, because you were here before the team was here and, and have seen what's, what's happened and what's changed. But the impact that having an NFL team has in a town goes far beyond what happens on Sundays. And there are, listen, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if this didn't happen, because I wouldn't, they wouldn't have started up the ball as a radio station, uh, and they wouldn't have been looking for some young and cheap uh, <laughs> broadcaster to come in and uh, and pay dozens of dollars to, to come down and, and be a part of uh, of that station. I who I might be working in Boise, well probably not Boise. I might be working in in uh, somewhere in Kansas City, or I might be in who have, you know who knows where else, Portland, but. Uh, the number of lives that have been impacted by those decisions and those efforts that were made is astonishing to think about. So you and I have had this conversation a couple of times off mic uh, when rumors of the Jaguars going to LA or to London or whatnot come up. And I've said it a number of times and I want your perspective on this. Jacksonville would be worse off if the Jaguars were to leave than if they never came to Jacksonville. Without a doubt. It would be a terrible blow to the city's self-esteem. And we would never get another NFL team. I say never, I mean, never say never about never, but it would be a lifetime before another NFL team ever came here. It would be just, just a terrible blow to the city and to the quality of life here. And you know, and 
And obviously everybody knows the Jaguars are not doing very well right now. That's part of being a sports fan. Yep. And remember, um, it's, it's, the, it's the little things, but it's not little. The benched quarterback is helping to raise money for a Jacksonville police officer who was terribly injured in an automobile accident and who lost his wife in that same automobile accident. And Blake Bortles Foundation is helping to raise money to support that family. Yeah, the amount of, again, people touched by the availability of people like Blake. Uh, Just what you said about celebrities. There's the celebrity aspect of it. There's also a, there are more millionaires who are spending some time in Jacksonville now yes, than yes, ever before. Yes. Many of them playing, some of them about to be released, but there will be more millionaires. And more, yes. uh, And when you have, it's not just about the money, but if Deutsche Bank brings in a couple, you know, five or six C-level uh, people, or if TIAA Bank uh, adds more executives who maybe make a million dollars a year, let's just say for the sake of argument, they may well have an impact on the community, but there's not a structure in place like there is with the NFL and an NFL franchise yeah. to to have those uh, opportunities wheeled up to you, basically. That's so exactly right. uh, it, it, it is a huge it is a huge thing. All right, well, last thing, Tom, uh, we've been going here for about half an hour, and I um, I hope that people who are listening to this have enjoyed as much as I have. Uh, look into the crystal ball. Uh, what kind of impact are the Jaguars as a franchise going to have in the next quarter century going forward? You know, I really think that we have a great owner. Everything that I've seen about Shad Khan, first of all, he just built us a, uh, uh, an arena. What, what do we call those things? Uh, yeah, the amphitheater. The, the amphitheater. Yeah. Just, he just built an amphitheater yeah. okay, that we didn't have before, have an amphitheater. And, and he's talking about um, building a lot of other things. Uh, I mean, I've been hearing about downtown development since 1975. We've been talking about downtown development. We've actually had some of it. Um, I, I really do believe that if we're going to get an improved, if we're going to get an entertainment district here, that Shad Khan is going to have a hand in it mm -hmm. and, and will make that possible. I do not believe he's going to take the team out of Jacksonville. I just don't. I just don't, and I, I, you know, we're gonna win a Super Bowl one of these days. Look at how long it took the Bucks. Yep. Look at how long it took the Saints. Remember all those those pictures that we first saw of people at, at Saints games with the bags ants. on their head yep. with ain'ts written yep. across it, you know, yep. that, that kind of stuff? It's... Um, don't, don't bring up the Browns. Let's okay, not go well, there. Well, <laughs> listen, the Browns are in contention for a playoff spot right now. Yeah, amazingly. Amazingly. <laughs> they have a better record than the Jaguars, for heaven's sakes. When with this season, I, Mark uh, Brunel and I talked about this the other day. Who'd have thought that in uh, September when the Jaguars were celebrating a win over the Patriots and looking like a team that could go to the Super Bowl, that we'd be sitting here in December with the Jaguars with no chance of the playoffs and the Browns with an actual opportunity. I think Mark pointed out that Tony Romo, at the beginning of the season, predicted that the uh, Green Bay Packers would play the Jacksonville Jaguars yes. in the Super Bowl. And he wasn't there. There were a number of national writers and, and broadcasters who had picked the Jaguars to go to the Super Bowl. Here we are. So it can happen. The, the point is, three times they've been a, a win away from the Super Bowl. At some point that's going to happen, which may become you were talking about the most significant stories in Jacksonville. I'll start it. I'll start the clock at the fire 
1901 and go forward with uh, Hurricane Dora and consolidation and the Jaguars being awarded and the Super Bowl being played here. Yeah. The fifth one on that list will be when the Jaguars play in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And it's going to be a huge story. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much. A pleasure. Thanks for letting me go down memory lane. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, And um, this, I no doubt, will be the the archival edition of Teal the Podcast. (laughs) The other ones don't age very long after the game, but this one uh, can be listened to for a long time. So thanks a lot for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us as well. Remember, you can subscribe to Teal the Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and you can always find it at newsforjacks.com. So for Tom Wills, I'm Cole Pepper. Thanks for listening to Teal the Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.